This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We do appreciate those of you who are watching today. We want you to stay tuned as we're going to be discussing this subject, how to measure your soul. How to measure your soul. Please stay tuned. We continue to offer the free Bible correspondence course that we have mentioned so many times on getting to know your Bible. We want to offer it again today, and may I emphasize that it is free, and we have people in every state of the United States studying this course, people in many foreign countries studying this course. We want you to have it, and let's pause so that you can get the information you need to receive the free Bible Correspondence Course. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational, it's based on the Bible, it's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. I want to read now from Matthew, the 16th chapter, verse 26. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? It was in 1907 that a man by the name of Duncan MacDougall wanted to find out how much a person's soul weighed. So he took six terminally ill persons to conduct this experiment. He had those people put on a scale while they were still alive, and then once they died, he had them weighed again. And according to his uh, finding, once they died, they lost 21 grams in weight. And to his way of thinking, that was the weight of the soul. I don't know how much a person's soul weighs in ounces or grams or or anything of that sort. One thing I do know, we do have a soul, an inward man. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28, Jesus said, Fear not him who is able to destroy the body, but hath no power over the soul. But fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. So I know Jesus is teaching that I do have a soul. And then here in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 26, he even asked, What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? 
So you see, the soul of man is valuable. And the soul of man needs the right kind of nourishment. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, the Bible says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. The soul can grow stronger in the Lord. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul meant in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and in verse 16 when he said, For which cause we faint not, for though our outward man perish, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. So there is an outward man. What you see of me is my outward man. There is an inward man that you cannot see. And that inward man, that is the soul of man, is growing stronger and stronger in the Lord every day. Now, what size is your inward man? Are you just a mere babe in the Lord? Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 1 to the Corinthians, and he said, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes. So they, they were not growing as they should have. That inward man was still in a, in a state of immaturity. I know you're not able to measure the soul with a tape measure or with a scale. You, you cannot see the soul. But I believe that the size of a person's soul is determined by its manifestation. For example, the, the, the soul, the size of the soul, it is determined by the height of its ambitions. Now, how ambitious are you? What is your ambition in life? Big souls have big ambitions. Small souls have small ambitions. So what is your ambition in life? Christ came into this world to do big things, and he did. As a matter of fact, we're told in Luke 19 and 10 that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. You don't get any bigger than that. That was Jesus' ambition, to come into this world to seek and to save that which was lost. And Jesus Christ died on the cross for that purpose. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9 says that he, by the grace of God, tasted of death for every man. That was a big job Jesus had on his hands of dying for the sins of the human race. In 1 John the second chapter verse 2, the Bible says he is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And I know 1 John 4.14 says that he came to be the Savior of the world. So, so he gave, the Lord gave Jesus a big job. And he had big ambition to die upon that cross. And God's people ought to be an ambitious people because he's given us a big program. And our program is to go into all the world 
and to preach the gospel to every creature, Mark 16, 15. According to Matthew's gospel in Matthew 28 and 19, Jesus said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you all we, even unto the end of the world. And so Jesus was a person with great ambition. And the size of an individual soul is determined by the height of its ambition. Now I want to be just as kind as I possibly can. But the height of some ambition, some people's ambitions, is no higher than the things of this world. Their, their, their ambition is to, to make all the money they can, to have all the fun they can, to drink all of the alcohol they can, to engage in all of the illicit sex they can. You see, that's the height of their ambition. But the ambition of a person who is trying to do what is pleasing to God is greater than that. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, according to the American Standard Translation, wrote these words, We make it our aim to well be well-pleasing to Him. And we need to be making it our aim, our purpose, our ambition to please God. So the soul can be determined, the size of the soul can be determined by the height of its ambition. But, but the soul of man and its size can be determined by the depth of its conviction. And not just how deep is your conviction. How strong is your faith perhaps would be another way to word that. Hebrews 11 and 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. How strong is your faith? Because the size of your soul is determined by the depth of your conviction. When I think of a person of great conviction, I think of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1 and 8, the Bible says that he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Well, with what was he going to defile himself? The things that belonged to the king there in Babylon. He didn't want to defile himself. He was a young man of conviction. When I think of others that were people of, of conviction, I think of, uh, next, I think of Moses. He, he was a young man of a conviction. He was reared in the uh, house of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. But the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 24, that when he was come to years, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. You see, Moses was a young man of conviction. He had deep conviction. And then I think of those three Hebrew children that were cast into a fire furnace. They had great conviction. And God delivered them 
from that fiery furnace. Just how strong is your conviction? I, my big souls have convictions of steel. We need to have convictions about God that they will not give way. We need to have convictions about this book that is called the Bible that we will not surrender. We need to have the conviction that this is the Word of God. And under no circumstances, nor for any reason, would I ever surrender my conviction about this book being the Word of God. You see, big souls have great convictions. But then the size of your soul is also determined by the length of its love. God's love is so immeasurable. Uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians 9.15 referred to it as an unspeakable gift. The gift of God's love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I know how far God's love went. The love of God went all the way to the cross of Calvary. That's how far his love went. My grandchildren are, uh, will say sometimes, They'll say to their grand, they'll say, Grand, do you know how much I love you? And she'll say, No, I don't know. I love you to the moon and back. Well, to them, that's the love, that's the greatest thing in all the world, to be able to say they love their grand that much. But let me tell you how much Jesus loved you and how much God loved you. And the love of both of them took Jesus to the cross of Calvary. That was the length of his love. Listen to John 3.16 again. For God so loved. That's an adverb of degree. That is, he loved you to the extent. He loved you to the point that he was willing to give his only son. I don't know that I, that I have that type of love. I would hope I do. I would hope I would have that kind of love, but that's the kind of love that God had for you and me. And the question is, how far will our love go for the Lord? Just how far will it go? Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, with all of thy soul, and with all of thy mind. A man that loves God is going to do what God says. First John 5 and 3, This is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Just how far will your love go for God? Will it go so far that you'd be willing to believe in Jesus? That you'd be willing to repent of your sins? that you would be willing to confess your faith in Jesus as being the Son of the living God? Does your love for the Lord go so far that you'd be willing to be baptized? 
just like those on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. When they asked, what shall we do? And they were told to repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins, Acts 2.38. Will your love take you that far? Will your love take you to the place of worship on the Lord's day? There were those whose love had grown cold in, in earlier days in the first century. And the writer of the Hebrew letter wrote in Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Oh, there were those who were uh, forsaking the gatherings of the church together. Their love had grown cold. Sometimes preachers will talk about the worship attendance or church attendance, as they sometimes refer to it. And they began to talk about the reason that people did not go to church. And, and they'll enumerate all kinds of things as, a, as possible reasons that they do not go. But when you really get down to the bottom of the problem, it's a love problem. It's a matter of do I really honestly love the Lord. And when I love the Lord enough, number one, I want to do what he tells me to do. And number two, I want to be where he is. For he has promised that where two or three are gathered together in his name, that he is in the midst of them. Matthew 18, 20. How far Will your love go for the Lord? But then the size of your soul is determined by the breadth of its service. In Acts the 13th chapter in verse 36, the Bible says that David served his own generation by the will of God. And that's something that ought to be said of every person today that we're serving our generation by the will of God. Our Lord came into this world to be a servant to mankind. As a matter of fact, in the second chapter of Philippians, the Bible says that he emptied himself in the form of a servant. So he came as a servant. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus said, The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. So he came to be a servant. In the 13th chapter of John's gospel is the, uh, of the story of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. And of course, Peter, first of all, said, Lord said, I don't want you to just wash my feet, just give me a, just wash me all over. And that's just like old impetuous Peter, as we sometimes call him. But Jesus washed the disciples' feet. He put on a towel. He girded himself with a towel. And he began to wash their feet that no doubt were dirty with dust from their walking on the, on the dusty road. 
Try to picture Jesus down on his knees and he's washing their feet. All of them. All of them. Even the feet of one that would betray him. Well, someone says, Brother Lambert, do you think that Jesus did that so that he, he left us an example of something that we are to do in worship today? No, I do not. But Jesus left that as an example of love and of humility. And if Jesus, the Savior of the world, the Master of all, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, could stoop down and he could wash somebody's feet, why would I think that I'm too good to do the same? Oh, it may not be their feet that need to be washed. It might be some dirty dishes in the sink that need to be washed. You see, maybe they've been sick for two or three weeks. And you walk in someone's home to go visit this person who's been sick, and you see all of those dishes stacked up in the sink. You see trash that needs to be carried out. And then we have the nerve to ask the question, is there anything I can do for you? When we see something that we can do to help mankind, we just need to put on the towel and we need to serve. The greatest people in the kingdom Jesus taught are those that are willing to be servants to other people. Some people think that they are too good to serve. They think they're too important to serve. They, they think they're too uh, well known to be able, willing to get their hands dirty with someone. But let me tell you, Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus was a servant to mankind. And big souls serve. They help. And they save souls. That's one of the greatest ways that we can serve mankind was trying to save their soul. And their souls that are listening to me right now that need saving. I want to urge you to believe in this Jesus. To believe in Him. Jesus Christ actually lived. Jesus was the Son of God. He was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, Romans 1.4. Peter acknowledged Him as the Christ. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, Matthew 16.16. 16. He's the Christ. And I'd urge you to believe in Him. I'd urge you to repent of your sins. It's imperative. I tell you nay, except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. On the day of Pentecost, when, when the people inquired, what shall we do? The very first thing Peter told them to do was repent. 
And to repent means a change of mind for the better. We cease doing those things we know that are in violation of the will of God and the law of God. And we put those things behind us. We need to be willing to acknowledge our faith in Jesus. In Romans the 10th chapter verses 9 and 10. Acts chapter 8 and verse 37. As a matter of fact in Acts the 8th chapter. The, the, the eunuch even asked. Here's water. Why can't I be baptized? And Philip said if you believe you can. He said I believe Jesus Christ is the son of God. And so they commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down to the water, both Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. You see, that put him into Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.27 It saved him. Mark 16.16, 16, 1 Peter 3.21 I would urge you to give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ that your soul might be saved. And then, why don't you turn around and you tell someone else what they should do? Big souls are known by the breadth of their service. And you can measure the soul by the weight of its influence. There's not a person that's watching this telecast right now but what you have influence on someone Jesus said, you're the light of the world, Matthew 5, 14 to 16. And all of us are like lights shining. We cast a shadow of influence over so many people. It may be your children, it may be your grandchildren, it may be an employee, it may be a fellow student at school. But we all are creatures of influence. And one of the greatest things that we can do is to let our light shine. Are you a candle or are you a floodlight? I'd urge you to be a floodlight for Jesus. To let your light be bright for Him. Give your life to Him. Obey the gospel. And live your life for Him. Be a bright light for Jesus Christ in the church, in the home, in the community, at school, at work, at play. Big souls are known by the weight of their influence. What about your soul? Have you ever thought about your soul and your soul needs to be saved? Why don't you think on these things? I want to thank you for watching today. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you, is my prayer. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, 
Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama 36580 or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bibles.